Welcome to the Teaching with Madly Learning podcast replay, fitting it all together to make teaching and learning in the junior grades more accessible, practical, and fun for both teachers and their students. Here's your host, teacher by day, mom of three, and curriculum creator of all the things from madlylearning.com, Patty Firth. Hey, everybody. It's about that time where we're getting back to school ready, so I wanted to take this time to really look and discuss about what it means to get your classroom back to school ready and to make it manageable and realistic for your time so that you're not spending an entire week's worth of August getting back into your classroom and setting everything up. Hi, my name is Patty, and I'm a teacher here in Ontario, Canada, and I have a new episode of the Teaching with Madly Learning show that comes out every single week. It is our hope that we're able to use this platform to help teachers be more inspired to try new things in their classroom to support and engage their students each and every day all year long. So the first thing I want to talk about when we're talking about getting our classroom back to school ready is the first aspect of knowing your space. Now, knowing your space is really looking at your classroom, where your door is, where your windows are, where your teacher's space is, and figuring out how that space is going to be used and planning accordingly. So some of the factors that you should really consider are, number one, what is going to be your teacher-directed space? Where will you be doing your direct teaching from? Will you have a whiteboard? Do you have a projector? Will you have a carpet? All of those aspects are going to be important considerations for you as your whole group space or where you'll be doing your whole group teaching because you want to make sure that students can, number one, see and participate and feel included in accessing that space. Once you have that space figured out, your next step is to really look at your desk arrangement and how you're going to arrange student desks. We have spent the last two years arranging our desks in rows, individualized, no groups. I know for sure I am much more interested in teaching desk groupings or even tables than I ever was teaching students in rows. So looking at the different types of desk arrangement patterns that you can use, how your space functions, that they are centrally focused on that teacher-directed space in your room allows you to plan where they might be. One of the things I like to do to help facilitate this is actually to go into my classroom and measure the space. Measure the length and the width of the classroom, where the predominant features would be, including where my shelves are, how big those desks are so that I can properly plan out what that space looks like. I often will come home and make a scale model drawing and just map it out so that when I go into the classroom, I have a pretty good understanding of where everything is going to go and how it's going to fit. Saves me a bunch of time on whatever day I plan to be arranging desks, but it saves me a bunch of time at knowing exactly where everything is going to fit and how everything is going to work together. The next element that you should consider when planning out your space is talking about traffic patterns. Now, the different elements of traffic patterns that you should consider is how students are going to walk in your classroom and find their desks and go to your things. If you don't want them walking over your carpeted area in your classroom, if you happen to have one, then creating a pathway that would force students to walk across the classroom to get from one point to another or to go gather resources is going to be a bit of a problem if you put your carpet in the center of the space. Putting your teacher desk in an area where students are going to have to be traveling to get in and out of the door is going to mean that your teacher space is going to have a high volume of traffic area. 
figuring out if you're using table groups, how students are going to walk and circulate around the classroom, whether they're going to be getting up to go get pencils, manipulatives, or whatever happens to be. But actually walking around your arranged space as a student will help give you an understanding of how space is used. It's a good rule of thumb to try to fit between two and three feet between different features in your classroom so that there's enough space for people to travel. Whether that is a desk and you wanna do two to three space from a desk with somebody sitting in it. So with the chair pulled back between the next space, if your classroom allows for desks to be that far spaced apart when they're in groups, that is the ideal spacing that allows students to use the pathway between those tables as a traffic flow pattern in your classroom. The other aspect you need to consider is your own teacher space and the area in which you claim to be yours. And I'm a big proponent that every student has an area that is theirs, that they feel it's their part of the classroom. And I also think that that space is there for teachers too. That doesn't necessarily mean that the teacher needs a full-on teacher desk. You can have a table or a countertop space or a rolling cart for that matter. But I do think it's important that there is some space that also feels like it's yours. Now, where that space is located in your classroom will be dependent on who your students are, how your classroom is laid out, as well as your own preferences as a teacher. Some teachers prefer to have their desk closer to the doorway so that you can see the door from your teacher desk. I prefer to have my desk area in a space that is away from the classroom door. I find that during my prep or during my planning time or eating time that I would like to be able to work in my classroom without being as interrupted as I would be if I can be viewed from the door of somebody walking through the hall that also has their prep at the same time. As much as I love my colleagues, I do want to reduce the amount of work that I take home with me over the weekends and in the evenings. And I do that by trying to maximize the amount of time I have in my prep and during my lunchtime where I'm not doing supervision to give me that space to get that stuff done, which I'm much more easily able to do when I'm not interrupted with other conversations. Because if you come into my classroom and want to talk, I will talk to you all day long because I would much rather do that than actually do the things I need to do. So I have to pre-plan my space to know that I am more likely to want to converse with somebody than I am to get my work done. So I need to plan my space around that so I can actually still get my work done. Now, another element of your classroom is going to be decorating. Now, this is a big one. Instagram is full of beautiful looking Instagram worthy classrooms that just look really pretty and amazing. But those also take an immense amount of time. And I'm not sure whether all of the decorating is going to give you a lot of bang for your buck. Now, don't get me wrong. I love a decorated classroom. But there are things that you can do that make it look like a decorated classroom without going over the top. Because we do have to remember we are teaching in regular public schools with like 25, 30 kids. So do we really need ceramic lamps on every table? Probably not. In fact, they're probably going to get broken 30 seconds after you put them in there. So we have to think realistically about our spaces and decorate what we can, but not necessarily go over the top all of the time. 
So one of the things I like to do first and foremost in every classroom I come in is number one, I want to paint my boards. Now I want to paint my boards because paint lasts a lot longer than paper and it looks wonderful. Now sometimes you just don't have enough paint or time to paint all of those boards. So I do really like the better than paper paper that you can put on the bulletin boards. It is thicker and lasts longer and looks good all year long. Even when you are constantly putting things up and down on those bulletin boards, it is great to be able to do that. One of the things I'm not going to do with my bulletin boards is put up a lot of posters or any content. In fact, most of my bulletin boards, with the exception of perhaps a welcome and an agenda board, will remain completely blank until we start filling it as a class. I don't post any of the bulletin boards. The bulletin boards you see behind me would not be on my classroom walls until we built out that bulletin board as a class. So as I introduce new concepts, then I would put things on the bulletin board. But I would not prepare a bulletin board prior to students arriving in September. And the bulletin board that I would create in my actual classroom, not in my home office, would reflect what my students are doing in the classroom as well as the bulletin board space that I happen to have in my room. I do, however, advocate that I do want to have borders on my bulletin boards. I like to pick different themes. You'll notice on the bulletin board behind me, I have a triple stacked border. I'm a big fan of stacking borders and also consistently using the same borders or same aesthetic of borders throughout the classroom. I like to have them all matching so that it looks like a cohesive space. What I do try to avoid is a different type of border on every single bulletin board or having multiple colors on different bulletin boards. In my current classroom, I have two different bulletin board colors, black or the better than paper, gray, white, wood. On those bulletin boards, I have different bulletin board borders I have that are all part of the same collection or theme. And I vary which ones are used together based on what the background of the board is. But I try to keep it really simple and still to be able to maximize the space that I'm using it on my boards. And again, I leave those boards completely empty on the first day of school with the exception of my agenda board and a welcome board. Let's talk about this agenda board. What is an agenda board? Well, I want to have what I like to call a classroom command center, a place where students can look for all of the necessary information that they need. What events are upcoming? What goals are they working on in each subject area? What our class schedule is, as well as the date. There is a place and one solitary place in our classroom where all of that information is contained. So it is a one stop shop for their information. That agenda board is maintained throughout the year and updated so students can update their agendas to match our agenda board in the classroom, which I make their responsibility. The final piece of the puzzle is looking at the materials that you have in your classroom and how students will be using it to plan out whether you are going to use notebooks or duotangs, what colors they're going to be, and for what subjects you're going to use one or the other. I'm a big proponent in color coding all of my notebooks and duotangs because the worst thing ever is saying, pull out your math notebook and students saying, what color is that again? And them not knowing what color math is. So in my classroom, math is blue. I use a blue notebook and a blue duotang and both of those blue notebooks are math. So when students pull out an orange notebook in the math class, I know they have the wrong one. They also know 
when I say pull out your blue math duotang, it's really easy for them to find it. So the time it takes to get started when I say pull out your notebooks is a little bit less. I use blue for math. I use yellow for language arts, yellow and pink because I have reading and writing. So I use pink for reading and yellow for writing and a yellow duotang. And then I will use most likely orange for word work. It's all in that yellowy orange family is sort of the goal there. Then for science, I will use green and social studies, I use red. And I try to keep those consistent, whether it's on, I'm referencing those subjects on an agenda board, those colors also match the notebook colors as well. I also want to create a system for how students are going to access pencils. I try not to be really rigid on how they access pencils. A student needs a pencil. and there's lots of things that you can do to reduce the consumption of pencils and games that you can play, but it's really important to figure out what your system is going to be surrounding pencils. Will you provide students a central location in your classroom for where they will pick up pencils? Is there going to be a system in place? Will you sharpen pencils for them? Will they have to wait? All of the rules around pencils and getting a new pencil is really important to sort of consider and plan out where they're going to get them, how they're going to get them, and where you're going to store them, because that's probably the most frequently used classroom material that you are going to have to deal with on a regular basis. Because if students are constantly needing to get up to go get materials, then you always have students getting up out of their seats, and sometimes you just don't want that. So what is a better system that you can use when it comes to pencils? And remember that whatever you come up with now, if it doesn't work, just do something different later. And that's okay to change your mind and try something new when you're noticing that the plan you came up with that you thought was a great one isn't working anymore. So change it, update it, and modify it for whoever happens to be in your classroom. I also think it's important to think of other supplies and where you're going to store them and where you're going to find them. I love using little bins that are in a closet so that I can easily access them instead of having all of your supplies from the school supply order coming in in all their different original boxes. I like to have stackable bins or or drawers that people can or that I can pull out my classroom supplies so that they're all organized and easily accessible thinking about your manipulatives, where you're going to store your math manipulatives in your classroom so that students actually want to use them. And that's the key. If we hide our manipulatives somewhere and make them less accessible, then our students are most likely not going to use them very often. So we want to make sure that our manipulatives are accessible and in a place that feels encouraging to go to, but also not a place that feels central. So they don't have to walk up in front of everybody just to go get some manipulatives. So we want to think about where we're going to put those in our classroom so that students can find them. And we also have all of the other accessories that we have to teach, whether it's our document camera, like this great one for Hugh. This is a wonderful document camera that is super easy and flexible, and you're able to use this Hue document camera in your classroom, no problem. And I highly recommend using that version of the document camera, but you have to think about where you're going to put it in your classroom. Do you need a table? How's it going to be set up? Where are you going to be standing when you're using the document camera? All of those elements are going to be something that you need to consider when you are planning it all out. Your projector, will it meet there? Where's all your cords? All of those extra teaching things that you're going to use, whether you have clipboards or paddles that you want, you yes and no paddles that you want students to answer whiteboard markers, highlighters, all of those aspects of 
extra things that you may not use every single day, but you're going to use frequently. Where are you going to put them and how are you going to lay them out in your classroom so that they work and make sense together? So hopefully this is giving you some ideas and food for thought about how you can go ahead and plan your classroom and manipulatives and your space more easily and accessibly so that you're not spending the entire month of August figuring out your classroom and what that is. You can simply and easily plan it out and get it done and get it set up without using lots and lots of hours of your own time to do so. If you're interested in learning more about this Hue document camera, you can go to www.madlylearning.com and look for the show notes for this episode so that you can get a link to purchase your very own Hue document camera. And thank you very much to Hue for supplying this sample document camera to me so that I could share it with all of you. All right. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining me. And we will see you next week with another episode of Teaching with Madly Learning. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Teaching with Madly Learning podcast replay. Join me on www.madlylearning.com for more information on all things teaching in the junior grades. Don't forget, you can always catch this show on the Madly Learning YouTube channel. See you next week for another replay episode of Teaching with Madly Learning.